Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this, the 14th edition of the Rambling Brews podcast, hosted by yours truly. I go by the name Tim, and I know, I understand it's been a two-week podcast hiatus for your boy, but trust me, I'm back, I'm fired up, and in the words of the legend Mike Lang, I'm smiling like a butcher's dog for today's episode. We've got so much to talk about, I cannot wait to get going. The NHL trade deadline was this past Monday, April 12th. We're going to dive into some of the major deals from around the league. We're going to talk winners. We're going to talk losers of the deadline. We're going to talk expectations for teams that went all in. We're also going to take a look at the Vancouver Canucks COVID outbreak and how that might impact the NHL playoffs coming up here in a couple months. We're going to take a look at some milestones, some sports history, a little bit of wrestling talk, and so much more. But first, another day, another pod, another cold Coors Light. Speaking of Coors Lights, I'll tell you what, the past couple weeks here in Western Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh specifically, the weather has been unbelievable. Um, it's been very nice, especially for early April weather. Anybody that knows anything about this area of the country knows that the weather typically you might get two, three, maybe four months if you're lucky of nice weather here. Uh, most of the time it's raining, it's overcast, it's cloudy, it's windy, whatever the case is. Um, but this past week or so, it's been beautiful. And I thought, you know what, what's better than me and the boys going out to play some golf? So we went out, we had the beers flowing, the Coors Lights were flowing. We had some Labatt Blue Lights out there, some Yinglings, just having a great time. And anybody that's played golf with me maybe over the last seven to ten years um, knows that I'm just the epitome of inconsistency. Um, in terms of, you know, one round I'm playing decent, the next round I'm playing horrible. I'm usually shooting somewhere between 20 and 25 over par, just pretty brutal. I um, haven't been able to shave any strokes really off my score um, in the last couple of years. But on Sunday, I don't know what the hell happened. I'm assuming it was just the Coors Lights. That's what I'm going to attribute it to. The Coors Lights were flowing and I was hitting piss missile after piss missile after piss missile, dead straight down the fairway, having a great time with the boys. It was fun. And I mean, it was the same day. Um, no, I'm not saying it's a coincidence um, I, that I was that I was buzzing on Master Sunday, but we'll pivot over to that because Hideki Matsuyama won the gold jacket, green jacket. Who gives a shit? In the words of Happy Gilmore, <laughs> uh, no, but the the green jacket he won that uh, won the Masters tournament. Big moment for him, big moment for the country of Japan as he takes home the green jacket. Um, what a performance. I think he shot one over on Sunday and still won the tournament. Um, there's honestly nothing you know, in sports, in my opinion, especially, I guess, when Tiger's playing. It was a little bit different this year with Tiger not playing um, in terms of the excitement, the mainstream, um, you know, I guess, media attention that it gets. But, you know, there's not too many sporting events out there, I think, that are better than Masters Sunday, especially when the tournament's in contention, a couple of guys going for the green jacket. It's it's an awesome thing to watch. And Augusta National in, in Georgia is a beautiful, beautiful track. Um, just so much fun to watch. But again, congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama winning the green jacket, um, the Masters tournament. I had all my money basically on Dustin Johnson. I don't know how you bet against Dustin Johnson. It's really hard to do so. The guy hits his like pitching wedge as far as I hit a three iron. So it's unbelievable what he's able to do on the golf course and how dominant he's been over the last year or two and really over his, his entire career. And I thought for sure, you know, 
he was going to get the job done, especially after I saw that. Uh, I don't know if too many people saw it, but that Cigar Aficionado uh, magazine cover that he was on with his rocket wife, Paulina Gretzky, the daughter of Wayne Gretzky. I mean, she, oh, he, he's doing, Dustin Johnson's doing well for himself on the course and off the course. I'll put it that way. Um, but, but man, she's great. And, and Dustin Johnson's great too, but they, they were on this Cigar Aficionado magazine and He's got the cigar in his mouth. She's got the cigar in her hand. She's dressed in a certain outfit. It, it looked pretty awesome. And then I saw on Twitter, like, I don't know if it was 25, 30 years prior or whatever the case was. Um, it was basically just paying homage. And it was a replica of what uh, Wayne Gretzky, the great one, and his wife, Janet, um, did back in, you know, whatever year it was when he was playing with the LA Kings on that same cigar aficionado magazine. I'd never heard of this magazine before until I saw these tweets. And, um, uh, I thought as soon as I saw that, man, he's channeling the the inner great one. Um, you know, he's going to come out and perform well. He's going to get the job done. So I threw some money on that, but it didn't work out. But again, still happy for uh, for Hideki Matsuyama. What a moment for him. And it's crazy because, um, you know, golf, golf and hockey players, they go hand in hand. It's pretty awesome, like I said, you know, with the Coors lights that were flowing for me on the golf course. And, and whenever um, I actually came home from playing that golf round and I got done watching the Masters tournament, I turned on. Um, I don't know too many people that know who Julie Stewart Binks is. Um, she worked for Barstool Sports for a little bit, I believe. Um, she also, she's Canadian. I think she played soccer, maybe some ice hockey. I don't know what level she played those two sports, but she um, she has like her own show now. It's called Drinks with Binks. It's on Fubo TV. Um, I've never actually heard of Fubo TV until I saw this YouTube video I was watching, but they had Brian Burke on the new, um, you know, recently hired president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I figured, yo, I got to watch this. This is going to be great. Berkey's always great with the media. Um, he's always hilarious. Got a couple one liners for sure. And the premise of the show is very similar to the premise of rambling brews. Whenever I have a guest on, whether it be, you know, my buddy Ray drinking the fancy penguins or my buddy, uh, Troy drinking the pickle beers, my buddy Jared drinking Mio and water or whatever the hell he was drinking before we had the beer tasting. Um, they always, you know, they always have a drink on the show. Like I said, it's called Drinks with Binks. And and Julie Stewart Binks asked Brian Burke. She says, "Hey Berkey, who are you gonna have, uh, or what are you gonna have? I should say um, to drink on this interview uh, show." And and he said, "You know what? I'm gonna go with a cold Coors Light." And he pulls the Coors Light and puts it in front of the camera. And I knew at that moment. The trade deadline was approaching, but I knew at that moment the Penguins were in good hands because a man with great beer taste was running the organization. I was so happy to see that. And in in honor of Brian Burke and his beer selection, I got to take a sip of beer for that. And like I said, I was fired up that Brian Burke was drinking Coors Lights. I knew the man had his head on straight. I knew he was a he was a good man to lead the Pittsburgh Penguins into the NHL trade deadline. So I think we should pivot over to the NHL trade deadline now, uh, which took place on Monday, April 12th at 3 p.m. Um, a lot of players were on the move. It was pretty crazy. A lot of depth moves, a couple big fish moved, um, some unexpected moves, I think. A lot of teams uh, maybe that are at the bottom of the standings were thinking, you know, hey, we can help some of these other teams out that are cap-strapped, maybe take on a little bit of salary, but acquire some future draft picks uh, from teams that are looking to to strengthen their team now and make a cup run now. And we saw a lot of that. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a look, um, you know, at, at each of these teams, I think at the top of the standings and some of the moves that were made and maybe take a look at some of the teams that didn't make any moves that I thought should have made moves and, and maybe drop the ball a little bit. So I'm going to start with the Washington Capitals. Um, this team's already at the top of the East Division. Uh, they're tied with the New York Islanders as of when I'm recording this. They're at 58 points right now, um, playing very well. 
And and they went out and they made a big splash right before the trade deadline at 3 p.m. They went out and they acquired Anthony Mantha, great young forward uh, from the Detroit Red Wings. And he's a pure goal scorer. He has a little bit of, um, I guess, a little bit of flack on him is that he's a little bit lazy at times. And I don't know if that's because he's been in Detroit his whole career and the teams that he's been on have been really bad. Um, You know, after Detroit had all that success for so long, they didn't miss the playoffs from 1991, I think, to somewhere around like 2013, somewhere in there. Um, Just unbelievable run. It may have been longer than that, to be honest. And, and, um, you know, you're bound to you're bound to run into some bad years when you're the Red Wings. You know, if you have that much success, and unfortunately for Mantha, he kind of came into the team whenever they were on that downturn there. But he's a pure goal scorer. I think he can add a lot to the Caps. And the big problem I have with this trade is what the Capitals gave up. I mean, they gave up the farm for this guy. They gave up uh, Richard Ponick, a good young depth um, player. They gave up Jacob Vrana who's a great young player, in my opinion. I, he's arguably, we'll get to in a minute, he's arguably very similar to Anthony Mantha, and we'll talk about my opinion as to why I think they made this trade here in a second, but they also gave up a first-round pick in 2021 and a second-round pick in 2022 just for Mantha. So let me give that to you one more time. They gave up Richard Panic, Jacob Vrana, a first-rounder in 2021, and a second-rounder in 2022 just pretty crazy to me because like I said, Anthony Mantha over the course of his career, he's played 302 NHL games. He has 95 goals, 99 assists for 194 points in those 302 games. If you look at Jacob Verana, he's got 76 goals, 81 assists for 157 points in 284 games. So not too far off. He's played a few less games and got a few less points, but not too far off. Very similar production. And both those guys, Mantha and Verana this year, both have 11 goals. So I think it was a massive overpay, in my opinion, uh, for what they got with Mantha. But you know, the Capitals they had their they had their eyes set on a pure goal scorer, and that's what they got with um, with Mantha. You know, a change of scenery might do him good. Um, it might do the team good. And one of the reasons I think they had to get rid of um, you know they had to get rid of so much was they're looking to get Mantha, obviously, right? But they had to they had to do a cap dump for Richard Panic. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much money he's making, but I think it's somewhere between two and a half and three million dollars a year. And if you remember, um, and maybe not too many Capitals fans realize this, and hockey fans around the world, but Alex Ovechkin's a free agent, an unrestricted free agent after this season. Now, do I think he's going to go anywhere else and sign with any other team in the NHL? I absolutely do not think that. I think the only team he'll play for in the NHL is the Washington Capitals. I do think they'll get a deal done. But I think the Capitals organization looks at this and they say, you know, we need cap space because Ovi, you know, maybe he takes a pay cut. He's making $9.3 million somewhere in there. Uh, right now he has been for the last 13 years. Is he going to take a pay cut? Maybe he does. Maybe he take, you know, he, he stays right around the same salary he was making. But I think with the flat cap set at $81.5 million for the next couple of years due to COVID, I think the Capitals realize, hey, we need some cap space. Um, you know, we can get rid of Vrana, who also, Vrana is a, a restricted free agent and Anthony Mantha has a couple years left on his deal. So that's another aspect of this is they don't know the uncertainty of Jacob Vrana is he, he has arbitration rights as a restricted free agent. They don't know what the salary is going to come in as, you know, he's a good young player. He's productive. He's probably due for a pay raise. He might make, 
you know, a, a decent bit of money based on what an arbitrator would give him. So the Capitals, they appear, you know, Brian McClellan, he appears, the general manager there, he appears that he's not willing to take that chance to see what's going to happen. They're trying to clear cap space. It makes their team better now, I think, in terms of this year, they've got a pure goal scorer in Anthony Mantha. Um, tonight, while I'm recording this, he scored a goal against Philadelphia in his first game. So um, good start for him. I believe he also had at least one assist. I'm not sure if he had any other points, but good good start for the Washington Capitals if you're, you know, if you're a fan of them and you got Mantha coming in but you have to think down the road a little bit I mean Jacob Verano he's going to be a good player in Detroit I think they got a steal for this one honestly I think somebody in DC is going to put a uh, arrest warrant out for the general manager of the Red Wings Steve Eiserman for highway robbery because like I said he got a first a second a great young player in Jacob Verano and a nice in a nice depth piece in uh, Richard Panic just for Anthony Mantha who Anthony Mantha you know a change of scenery, like I said, it might do him good, but in Detroit, he was kind of just like, you know, he was a decent player, but from the, the prospect level that he came in and some of the expectations he had, he never really lived up to it. So maybe a change of scenery, like I said, will do good for him, but huge overpay in my opinion. And also, I'm not sure the Capitals addressed the needs they had. Like coming into this... um Trade deadline, I thought, you know, they got to shore up goaltending. I think they need to go out and get a goaltender. Do you really, you know, believe in Samsonov, um, you know, as the starter? And I'm not sure they do. And and like I said, also with, with COVID this year, you never know what's going to happen. Your goaltender gets COVID. Your goaltender gets injured. You never know. Um you know, the Capitals, I think they they were really trying to solidify their goaltending position, but there weren't a lot of trades out there to be had. Uh, Columbus, they had Elvis Merzlikens on the on the trade block. They had Jonas Corposalo, their two goaltenders on the trade block. Uh, but you're going to have to give up a lot to get them. And they gave up a lot to get Mantha. So I think they're putting a lot of their uh, eggs in one basket with goal scoring. I still think the Capitals could have used a depth defenseman. Um, but it remains to be seen. Like I said, they're at the top of the standings right now, and they just added one of the best, at least on paper, goal scorers in the league. So you got to figure, you know, they're, they're going to trend, keep trending the way they were, and they're going to be a real threat and a real tough out in the playoffs. But I'm not sure I would have given up that haul for um, Anthony Mantha. Um, also, the Capitals, they did acquire Michael Raffle, who's a depth guy from the, the Philadelphia Flyers. He's not much. He's a decent player. I'm not sure he'll be in the lineup each and every night for the um, Capitals, but he's okay, and the Flyers retained 25% of the salary on that. Um, so that was one other little deal that the Capitals made. Um, staying in that East Division, man, this team, this team is loading up. They're going for it. The New York Islanders. Um, the New York Islanders already, like I just mentioned, they're tied with the Washington Capitals as of the time I'm recording this podcast at the top of the East Division. Um, they're sitting there playing great. They lost their uh, captain, Anders Lee, we talked about a couple weeks ago, their top left winger. Um, but what do they do? They go out and they get Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac from the New Jersey Devils. Both of those guys had 50% of their salary retained on their contract. Now, I know I mentioned that back when I talked about Michael Raffle going to the Washington Capitals. So for anybody out there that doesn't know what that means, basically per the collective bargaining agreement for the NHL, a team is allowed to make a trade and they're allowed to retain a maximum of 50% of the salary. So basically what happens is if you have a team you're trading to and there's you know, strapped up against the salary cap and they can't afford to take on a full hit. Maybe the guy makes $6 million. You'll say, Hey, we'll trade you just a straight up trade. We'll give you a you know, player a who makes $6 million and you give us a third round pick. But if you throw in an extra fourth round pick, we'll retain 50% of the salary. So that team that's trading the player will pay and keep on their salary cap 50% of that guy's $6 million salary in this example. And that guy will get paid from both teams. 
And that way, the team that's acquiring him is able to fit him under the salary cap because they only have to pay 50% of his salary, and that's all that hits their salary cap. So that's a big thing that happens here in uh, in the NHL and with these trades and everything to make these teams be able to be cap compliant, especially mid-season. It kind of has to happen because, you know, if you think about it, both sides benefit. The side that's you know in good position to make the playoffs, that's trying to acquire the player, gets a great player they're looking for to add to their lineup and to bolster their chances to win the Stanley Cup. But the other team that's maybe puttering at the bottom of the standings and has no shot and they're thinking about the future, they can say, hey, chuck in an extra pick for us and we'll take back some of that salary. As long as the owner of the team's okay with it, um, 99.9% of the time they are, especially if you're acquiring some draft picks for future capital and you can potentially draft and develop those players. Or in the future, if you have some young guys in the pipeline, you can use those draft picks to acquire some players of your own. So you'll see a lot of that as I go through the rest of these picks. But um that trade was the Devils traded Paul Mary and Zajac to the Islanders. Like I said, they retained 50% of the salary. The New Jersey Devils get a uh, 2021 first round pick, a conditional fourth round pick, which can be used in 2022 or 2023. Um, so the conditions on this pick would be the fourth rounder would become a third rounder if the New York Islanders do make the Stanley Cup final. And also two prospects um, that aren't I guess highly touted were thrown into this deal too. So I think this is an absolute steal if you're the New York Islanders and um, Lou Lamorello, the general manager there, he was the general manager in New Jersey for a very long time, very successful, a couple Stanley cups. Um, but he's, he seems to be doing the exact same thing in New York with the Islanders. And it's crazy because he's smart. There was a lot of big fish out there. There was a Taylor Hall out there. You know, there's Ryan Getzlaff out there. There's other players that have maybe bigger names than Paul Mary and Zajac. But what does Lamorello do? He takes guys that he knows will come in and play well and fit the system. Because in my opinion, Barry Trotz is the best coach in the NHL. Um, I know I've talked about who I think should win the Jack Adams. I'm not sure if I had Barry Trotz in there, um, but I'm starting starting to rethink that decision because he's one of the best coaches for sure. I think he's the best because he's one of the guys that can get every player to buy in. He might take guys that don't have the most talent, and that's no knock on Matt Barzell and Anders Lee and some of those guys, even like Paul Mary and Zajac. You know, that's no knock on those guys. But he takes these lesser talented players and he makes them believe in the system. He makes them play the system and he has success. I still, to this day, cannot believe the Washington Capitals after year after year after year of playoff embarrassment and losing and losing and losing and never getting over the hump. They finally get over the hump. They've got one of the best coaches in the league at the time. They let him go for a couple million dollars. Absolute joke. But talk about a gold mine just falling into your hands if you're the New York Islanders. So um, got to give credit to them. And right now, I mean, they've got arguably the best center depth in the league, the best, um, you know, the most important position in the NHL. They've got Matt Barzell. They've got Brock Nelson. They've got JG Pajot. They've got Casey Zizekas. And now they've got Travis Zajac. Not to mention Travis Zajac's a penguin killer. So is Kyle Palmieri. These guys seem to score every single time they're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. It's fucking frustrating as a Pittsburgh Penguin fan. But, you know, if you're a New York Islanders fan right now, you've got to be chomping at the bit to get to the postseason because you've got a real chance. I think they've got a real, real strong chance to win that East Division, come out of the East Division, and maybe make a run here um, to win a Stanley Cup for the first time in a long time if you're a New York Islanders fan. Um, also, sticking with the Islanders, they did sure up their back end. They signed Braden Coburn. Um, or, sorry, they traded 
for Braden Coburn from the Ottawa Senators for a 2022 seventh rounder. So bolstering their defense a little bit. I think he'd been playing in the AHL this year in the Ottawa. Um, he's a little bit older. He had some some nice uh, nice times in Philadelphia and a and pretty solid uh, stint down there in Tampa Bay. Um, a little bit older, but again, add some depth to that team. So that team definitely, I, I think, is the powerhouse of the East Division right now. Another team that uh, seems to always be in the mix for these these big time targets uh, at free agency and in the trade deadline is Boston. And Boston did just that this past Monday. They went out, they traded for the biggest fish, I think, um, as far as forwards go that were available. They traded with Buffalo. They acquired Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar for Anders Bjork in a second rounder. A really, really, uh, you know, small return, if you ask me. We'll talk about Buffalo here in a little bit, but. You know, some of the other deals that we're going to discuss, it was a very small package um, for, for Taylor Hall. And again, he's only got two goals this year. He shot the puck 88 times, which I believe puts him in unique company with the likes of Craig Adams and guys you don't want to be in unique company with if you're <laughs> if you're Taylor Hall. Uh, but two goals on 88 shots. So I think the Boston Bruins are hoping maybe a little bit better players around him, some power play time, uh, playing with the likes of David Krejci, um, you know, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, uh, Patrice Bergeron might spark a little bit of that offensive ability. But again, he's not probably going to keep that up. Two goals on 88 shots. He's probably going to come back to normal. I mean, that's a record low shooting percentage, and that's what the Boston Bruins organization team and fans are really hoping for. Um, Curtis Lazar, the other guy in this trade, um, he was a top prospect a couple years ago, had a great World Junior the same year that Connor McDavid was in World Juniors, I think in 2014 or 2015. Um, he's been on a number of teams. He's been in Calgary. He's been in Buffalo. Um, I want to say he was in Ottawa. I'm not 100% sure, but he hasn't really been able to find his his groove yet in the NHL. And we'll see what happens because Boston, I mean, he could really fit in there. I think he's the kind of player that suits Boston's team and their style well. So we'll see what happens with that. And, uh, you know, like I said, I really like this deal for Boston. They're buying so low on Taylor Hall. Um, again, he's been on so many teams too, but he's one of those pure goal scoring types. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy, I think he even mentioned this in one of his press conferences after the trade that he doesn't necessarily want to be the guy. Like he, when he was in New Jersey, he had an MVP season. He was the guy. He played great. But ever since then, I think he had some injuries. But he really just, he went to Arizona. You know, he just hasn't been, he, he hasn't lived up to the guy status. You know what I mean? Like, and in Boston, he's not going to be, he's not going to be asked to be the guy. They've got Bergeron, like I mentioned. They've got Marshawn. They've got Pashanok. They've got David Krejci. He's the fifth best player and best goal scorer probably on that team. And I think that suits Taylor Hall very well. And if you're a Boston fan, you got to be really excited because the pressure's not really going to be on him. It's it's eerily similar to a guy like Phil Kessel who came to Pittsburgh, um, and they had Malkin, and they had Crosby, and you know Gensel, and they had other guys that – he he didn't need to be the guy. He didn't need to be the guy that scores every night. He didn't need to be the guy that produces everything, carries the team on his back. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think, you know, Taylor Hall can excel at it. And I think it's a good deal. And like I said, we'll talk about Buffalo in a little bit because I'm not sure what they were thinking. But if you're Boston, you gotta love this deal. Um so you know, you got to be happy for Taylor Hall as a hockey fan. Hopefully he can find his footing there and maybe find a home. Because like I said, he's been on Edmonton. He's been on New Jersey. He's been on Arizona. He's been on Buffalo. And now he's in Boston. And he's a generational type player, a great player. So it's just surprising to see him bouncing around that much. But we'll see what he can do with the Boston Bruins. And if Boston's going to make it out of the East Division, you know, if they do, they're definitely going to have to deal with a team like Tampa Bay who went out and solidified their back end and added some depth 
to the blue line. And um, honestly, this seems to happen every year. And it might just be my opinion. You know, it seems like the media just gets fixated on a guy that I think just isn't deserving of that. You know, like it happened a couple of years ago when the Penguins acquired Daniel Winnick. He was like the biggest guy at the trade deadline. Everybody wanted to get him. All the media members were saying all the main teams were in on him, you know, and the Penguins got him and he was a bona fide scrub. He did nothing. He absolutely added no value to the team. I don't even think he scored a fucking goal while he was, uh, you know, in a penguin sweater and he was just brutal. So like, it seems to happen all the time. And I think it's the same, you know, for David Savard, I've watched the penguins play Columbus. I've watched Columbus play a plenty of games and David Savard has been nothing short of just blah. Like he's just out there, you know, and it's no knock on him personally. I'm just saying he's not the kind of guy that I would think would covet so much attention and that every team that's at the top of the you know, standings at the NHL trade deadlines trying to acquire this guy. But hey, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. If you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, I'm not sure what to think, but they went out and they got David Savard in one of these trades I talked about at the beginning of this segment with um, a third team coming in to facilitate the deal by taking on some salary. So, you know, what happened here was it's pretty complicated. So I'll try to simplify it. But Columbus traded David Savard to Detroit. For Brian Lashoff, so Brian Lashoff's just a um, a young prospect, hasn't played in the NHL. I'm not sure what to make of him. And in that trade, they retain 50% of the salary on Savard. So Savard goes to Detroit, and Detroit's on the hook for only 50% of the salary because Columbus retained 50% of Savard's salary that they initially had on their books. Then Detroit turned around and traded David Savard to Tampa Bay for a fourth-round pick and they also retained 50% of the salary on Savard, 50% of the salary that they already owed. So 50% of the 50% that they owed from the Columbus trade. So we'll get to this in a minute, but what that means is basically Tampa Bay only has to pay 25% of David Savard's salary, a huge help to them as they're one of the only teams that has maybe a million or so in cap space at the time, especially um, with some of the high-end players they have. So the third part of the trade was Columbus traded Brian Lashoff, who they got from Detroit. We just talked about the prospect to Tampa Bay for Tampa Bay's first rounder in 2021 and a third rounder in 2022. So Columbus gets, you know, a couple of picks. Detroit gets a pick and uh, Tampa Bay gets the player they won. The end result was Columbus retains 50% of the salary on Savard. They get Tampa's first rounder and Tampa's third rounder uh, from 2021 and 2022, respectively. Detroit retains 25% of Savard. They get Tampa Bay's fourth rounder in 2021, and they trade Brian Lashoff, a prospect who ends up in Tampa along with David Savard, and Tampa gives away their first round pick their fourth, their first round pick in 2021, their fourth round pick in 2021, and a third round pick in 2022. So they give away three picks to get a guy that I don't think is necessarily going to make or break their season. And tonight I watched him. He played his first game. Now, granted, it's his first game in Tampa Bay. He's going to have a little bit of a learning curve getting used to the system, especially coming from a team like Columbus that's more defensive-minded than a team like Tampa Bay that's more run and gun, and they've got a lot of high-end offensive skill. Uh, he got walked. He got absolutely walked. He looked like an absolute jaybrone out there, and I saw people chirping him online. I mean, they gave away three picks for this guy who, in my opinion, is a five or a six defenseman at best. Not sure that's the best move, but how can you knock the Tampa Bay Lightning? They're the defending Stanley Cup champions, and they're going to get the biggest trade deadline acquisition as soon as the playoffs start when Nikita Kucherov comes back. Because as I mentioned on previous episodes, 
the salary cap goes away as soon as that um as soon as the playoffs start and Nikita Kucherov's going to be back he's making nine and a half sheets a year so it's not going to matter at all to the salary cap um, he's a guy that can go get you 130 points in a season easy uh, maybe even more he can get you 35 40 points in a playoff run so you got to look out for Tampa Bay I look for them to potentially be um, you know definitely one of the favorites to repeat this year but I'm not sure this David Savard trade was very smart to give away three picks for a guy who I think is kind of just like a journeyman decent you know more or less he's a jabroni in my opinion but he's serviceable staying in the sunshine state uh, the Florida Panthers, they're making moves right now. I talked about it a couple episodes ago that their best uh, best player, in my opinion, maybe outside of Alexander Barkov, but uh, Aaron Eckblad, their defenseman, he went down for the year with a horrifying leg injury. He was having a Norris Trophy, best defenseman type uh, campaign this year. Um, and they, and they're really right in the thick of things for that division and they're playing really well. So their, their ownership and their general managers and their coaches are really going out and they're rewarding their team for playing well. And they're going out making some moves and they went out and they acquired Sam Bennett, the gritty bottom six forward, a guy I would love to see in black and gold one day. Uh, just an absolute pissant to play against. I mean, uh, you, you can't stand him when you're playing against him. He can score goals. Like I said, he's a little bit gritty. He's got a sandpaper finish. He's just, he's just an absolute, just you know, piece of shit out there. Basically, to put it in a term of endearment, in my opinion, um, a great guy for Florida to get. Tough to play against. All they had to give up was uh, prospect Emil Heineman and a 2022 second round pick. So I think that's a pretty good deal for Florida. Um, they also acquired Brandon Montour the great right-handed defenseman uh, from the Buffalo Sabres for a third-round pick in 2021. That assures up the blue line um, to try to fill the void for Aaron Eckblad, who's gone now. Um, just a little bit difficult, obviously, of a, of a void to fill. But Brandon Montour, you know, he, he was great. I believe he was in Anaheim before he was in Buffalo. Um, really, really high-touted uh, prospect. Good young player, and really anybody that went to Buffalo in the last year or two has regressed. So you can't really look at that stint and say what type of player he is. But they're able to acquire that guy for a third rounder. He could go a long way in helping them get to a Stanley Cup final this year. So I think that's an unbelievable trade. Um, so look for Florida to be, you know, really buzzing. They, they've been playing so well. They got Barkov back now from injury. Anthony Duclair's back from injury. If Montour can step in, Sam Bennett could add something. If Patrick Hornquist can keep scoring the goal the way he's been scoring, you know, um, it, it's it's incredible because like Florida, they deserve a winner. I've been over this. They've had so many uh, so many bad teams over the years. Um, a couple years ago, you know, they were in the playoffs and they got beat by the Islanders. And I believe the Islanders first playoff series win on a John Tavares overtime goal, I think in game six, uh, for, you know, the Islanders first playoff series win in about 20 years. So Florida's in the same boat and they, their fan base deserves a lot. They've been playing great. So it's good to see the organization go out there and acquire some guys and reward that team. Um, I really respect the hell out of that. Uh, sip a beer for ownership and sip a beer for all these teams that I've gone through so far for trying to make their teams better and uh, and get this thing going to the Stanley Cup final. We got a couple more teams to go through, but I need to sip of that cold course. The Toronto Maple Leafs. Now I've been over this. They're the Dallas Cowboys of the NHL. Every year they're supposed to win the Stanley Cup. Every year they've got the best team. Every year they've got the best goaltender, best scorer. They've got the best odds. Everybody in the media loves them. They're the media darling, especially in Canada. But they haven't really been able to live up to the hype. They haven't won a playoff series since 2004. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. We've been over this, and I actually love it. 
Um, it's all it's right up there with the Philadelphia Flyers' lack of success and them not winning a Stanley Cup since 1975. The Maple Leafs, I just chuckle. I love this. Um, I think it's awesome. Maybe it's not great for the NHL and their revenues and stuff like that, but I think it's unbelievable how they just continue to find new and improved ways to lose. But you can't knock them this year. They're playing really well. They're up at the top of their division. They have been from coast to coast. We've talked about that. Um, honestly, I think they're playing, and many people would agree with me, I think they're playing in basically a glorified minor league division. I mean, that division is terrible. It's putrid. Um, some of those teams are just awful. And that's why you see McDavid and those guys lighten up the score sheet each and every night, in my opinion. Not saying they wouldn't do that against other teams, but I think they're taking advantage of some of these teams that have maybe seven, eight, nine, ten AHL players on their team. I'm looking at you, Ottawa. Um, but Toronto, what they're doing right now, they're taking advantage of the opportunity. They don't have to go through Boston. They don't have to go through Tampa right now. They might not have to see either one of those teams until the conference final or the semifinal, I guess, because there's no conferences this year. But what they're doing right now is they're smart. They're going out and they're loading up their team. They went out and they acquired um, a gritty forward, bottom six forward, Riley Nash. I believe he's banged up a little bit, but he'll be back before the end of the season. Um, he's a veteran forward. The Toronto Maple Leafs gave up a 2022 seventh-round pick um, with conditions that it could become a sixth-round pick if Nash appears in 25% of the Leafs' 2020 and 2021 playoff games. So this year, if he appears in 25% of those games, um, Columbus will get a sixth-round pick instead of a seventh-round pick. Um, they also went out from Columbus, and they acquired Nick Foligno. So Nick Foligno is the captain of the Blue Jackets. Now, I think he's vastly overrated. Um, and for what the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm about to tell you, gave up to get him, is unbelievable that Kyle Dubas would get suckered into this for a guy like Nick Foligno. But like I said, Toronto, they're desperate. They're looking for anybody that can potentially give them a spark and get them over the hump. But, um, you know, like I said, Leafs, they went out and they acquired Nick Foligno from Columbus for a 2021 first rounder. A first rounder. Now, mind you, I told you already that Boston got Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar for a borderline top nine player, Anders Bjork, and a second rounder. In what universe is Nick Foligno even close to Taylor Hall? Now, I know Taylor Hall's had a bad year, but Nick Foligno, I mean, he's a goddamn jabroni. Like, he's a guy, he's never won anything. I think he's got one playoff series victory in his career in Columbus, and they've had some bad years, and it's not all his fault. But I mean, the way Toronto is acting, they're acting like this guy's in the second coming of Gretzky. He's coming in there. He's going to get the job done. And they're going to get him over the hump. This guy's a, a bottom six type guy at best. You know, I don't know how much he's going to contribute offensively. He's a good faceoff guy. He's a good penalty killer. But you give up a first rounder for him. Is management and the coaching staff going to have to justify that first rounder by putting him in the top six with the likes of Matthews and Marner and Tavares and Nylander? I, I, I'm almost at a loss for words with that move. I, I don't mind them getting Felino because I think he adds depth. He adds something that Tampa Bay had. Like, you know, they had uh, Blake Coleman and they had Zach Bogosian and guys like that when they won last year. They added some grit and some sandpaper. But to give up a first-round pick for a guy like Nick Felino when Taylor Hall was there to be had and you only had to give up a second-rounder and a borderline top-nine player? I don't know, man. Maybe I'm overreacting, but I think that's just unbelievably ridiculous for them to do that. Um, and also, you know, the Leafs, they did go out and they shirt up their goaltending. 
Uh, they got David Riddick, uh, Frederick Anderson, their starter. He's been banged up, and there really hasn't been any timetable for his return. Um, it's actually pretty intriguing because he's been day-to-day for about three or four weeks now, and that's never really a good sign. And fortunately for the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, you know Jack Campbell, he came over from the LA Kings a couple years ago. He's their backup. He's playing unbelievable. He won his first 11 starts this year. And really has been a huge part of the reason that Toronto is still at the top of the division in the, in the North standings there. So, um, you know, you got to give him credit, but uh, it really shows me a lot that the Leafs went out and they got a guy like David Riddick from Calgary to shore up the goaltending because I'm not sure Frederick Anderson's going to be back. Now, I obviously have no insider information or anything like that, but to go out and get a basically a number one goalie to go along with the goalie you have that's eleven and one this year and one is the first eleven starts it doesn't really bode well for your starter Frederick Anderson coming back but you never know we'll see what happens there um, you know also the the Leafs did add um, blue liner an old twenty uh, seven year old depth defenseman Ben Hutton. Um, from the Anaheim Ducks, who's a decent player. I mean, again, the the one thing about Toronto and the way they've been so successful this year is they really haven't had any injuries on the blue line. They haven't had to kind of dip into their reserves in their seventh and eighth defensemen, and that's what they're doing here. They're, they know that that's probably coming. It's not likely that they're not going to run into any injuries throughout the season. So what they're doing is they're showing up their blue line, and I kind of like that move. But again, man, this Nick Foligno move is an absolute head-scratcher for me. I cannot believe they did that. Um, Staying in the uh, North Division there, the Edmonton Oilers, they're right behind the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, they're second in the division. They went out and they traded a 2022 conditional fourth-round pick for Dmitry Kulikov, the 38-year-old stay-at-home defenseman from the New Jersey Devils. Um, this year, they're missing you know, their best defenseman, Oscar Kleffbaum. He's been out for the year. Um, the Oilers are. And Darnell Nurse, you know, great physical young defenseman, has really stepped in and shined. He's played unbelievable hockey. I, I think that's a huge bright spot for the Oilers. But they went out and they basically got a guy like Kulikov that can um, add some depth to their team. If they run into any COVID issues, they run into any injuries, anything like that. Um, I think Kulikov's a good pickup. But honestly, I think this team really dropped the ball. Um, you look at teams in that division, you look at Toronto, we just went through them. They added a ton of players. Um, Edmonton's going to have to go through Toronto to get out of that division. And we saw this team, basically the same team, the Oilers, with just as productive of guys in McDavid and Dreisaitl last year, get beat by a young, inexperienced, basically massively flawed team in the Chicago Blackhawks. And I don't know what makes me think that they're gonna gonna be any better this year. I think they really did themselves a disservice. I think they should have went out and they should have acquired a, you know, somewhat of a goal scorer, some guy that can put the puck in the back of the net, some offensive threat. I mean, they have the draft capital. They don't need the draft picks. Kenny Holland, uh, you know, he did a great job building dynasties in Detroit. Now he's in uh, Edmonton, and he really hasn't done much, to be honest with you. Um. I think they really could have gone out and they could have tried to acquire, you know, they could have been in on a Taylor Hall or somebody like that that could come in and add some offensive scoring ability. Because honestly, if a team shuts down, or I guess you can't really shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl, but if they mitigate their threat at all of scoring, who else on that team is going to score? Like who else on that lineup scares you? Nobody. There's nobody on in, in that lineup that scares you at all. So, and Dreisaitl and McDavid play a lot together. I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is decent. 
But, I mean, can he drive his own line? Can he score on his own? I don't know. If a team is able to put all their defensive effort against McDavid and Dreisaitl, similar to how Chicago did last year, I think they're going to have success. And I see no way Edmonton comes out of this division, especially with them um, you know, really not doing anything and not being active at the deadline at all. I think, it, like I said, they did themselves a big disservice. And I think they're going to pay for it here in a couple, uh, you know, in a month or so, whenever the playoffs start. Uh, the best team in the West right now and the best team in the league, the Colorado Avalanche, uh, they've been absolutely buzzing over the last month or so. I mean, McKinnon's on fire. Landis Cog's on fire. Rantanen's on fire. Caudry's on fire. Kale McCarr, a stud. Samuel Gerrard, unbelievable. Um, what do they do? They go out and they acquire Devin Dubnik for Greg Pattern. Uh, a veteran right-handed defenseman who really wasn't seeing much playing time. He came over from the Minnesota Wild for a trade for Ian Cole earlier in the season to free up some cap space for the Colorado Avalanche. And a fifth-round pick goes back to San Jose for Dubnik, and that shores up their goaltending. They've got Philip Grubauer. They just traded for uh, Jonas Johansson from the Buffalo Sabres, and now they get Devin Dubnik, I should say, uh, from the San Jose Sharks. So they really got some depth at goal, and that was really their only weakness. This team is poised, and I think they're going to win the Stanley Cup this year. Unbelievable the way they're playing. I don't see anybody that's stopping them. And they didn't do anything drastic. They didn't do anything stupid. They identified a need that they could add some depth at goal, and they went out and got a good goaltender in Devin Dubnik, who's not going to be asked to be the guy, but he can certainly fill in. And if there's any injuries or any COVID, he's definitely capable of being the number one guy as he was in Minnesota and a little bit here in San Jose um, and briefly in his career earlier in uh, in Edmonton. So I, I think you know that's a great, great uh, deadline for Joe Sackick. And they know that team knows that they're stacked. That team knows they're loaded. That team knows the West Division and the Stanley Cup's going through Colorado, in my opinion. So I think they did a great job here. Um, they're really their only competitor in their division in the West Division is the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, they acquired Matthias Janmark from the Chicago Blackhawks for a 2021 second rounder and a 2022 third rounder. Um, so they basically just add a little bit of depth. They're cap strapped big time. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what any Vegas fans or what the organization thought they could do. But again, they're a very good team. I don't think they're quite as good as Colorado. I don't see them beating Colorado in a seven game series. I think that series will be pretty pretty quick. I'd say maybe a four or five game series, to be honest with you, um, if it comes down to it, especially as the teams are lined up now, barring any injuries or anything like that. Hopefully not, because it'll be a great series to watch as a hockey fan. But Matthias Janmark, he's a good player. He adds some depth and some scoring ability. So we'll see what Vegas is able to do. I mean, they've got arguably the best goaltender in the NHL right now, Marc-Andre Fleury, and they've got Robin Leonard. He's back off of injury. Great goaltending tandem, just as I mentioned with Colorado, has a good goaltending uh, tandem there. So it's going to be awesome to watch. But these teams really did a great job, um, you know, of solidifying and identifying their needs. And uh, I think, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins also, I think the Penguins identified that they had a need for a depth center, um, a guy that can play wing also. Um, so they went out and they acquired Jeff Carter from the Los Angeles Kings for a 2022 conditional third rounder and a 2023 conditional fourth rounder. Um, so those conditions that are on those um, picks 
The third rounder could become a second rounder if the Penguins reach the cup final and Carter plays at least 50% of the games in the playoffs. And the fourth rounder the following year in 2023 uh, could become a third rounder if Carter plays at least 50% of the games next season as he signed for one more year. So that's another thing. The Penguins were looking to not maybe have a rental if they're going to give up some draft capital, which I know Ron Hextall and Brian Burke aren't really keen on doing uh, because the Penguins really don't have much draft capital. And what I talked about earlier on the podcast is what I see here with the Penguins. And Ron Hextall said it himself. The Penguins have been just battered with injuries, and they've battled. They've played unbelievable hockey. They're right on the heels of the Capitals and the Islanders in the East Division. They got a real shot to win the uh, East Division, a real shot to win the Stanley Cup, I think, this year. And basically what Hextall and Burke are doing is rewarding the team for the effort, the way they've been playing, uh, rewarding the coaches for the way they've been coaching, the way they've been getting the guys to buy in. They go out and get a guy like Jeff Carter. I mean, this guy, he's a bona fide you know, shooter. He, when he came into the league, I can't remember exactly what year he came into the league, but nobody has had more shots than him since he came into the league other than Eric Stahl and Alex Ovechkin. And I think both those guys have played over a hundred more games than Jeff Carter has played in that span. So he's not afraid to fire the puck, man. He'll put the biscuit in the basket. And honestly, that's what the Penguins need um, is a guy that will shoot the puck, the guy that can shoot from anywhere. He can play up and down the lineup. He can play with a guy like Crosby. He's done so before in Olympic Games and in World Championships. He's played with. He can play with a guy like Malkin. I think him and Malkin would fit pretty nicely together. Um, but I think he's going to start out on the third line, especially with the injury recently to Freddie Gaudreau um, and Brandon Tanev being out to at least the start of the playoffs and maybe even further for the Penguins. The injuries just keep piling up. So I think getting Jeff Carter was a really, really good pickup. Now, he is 36 years old, um, so I'm not sure exactly you know what people might be thinking he's going to come in and do. But he's not asked again. He's not asked to be the guy. But he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the LA Kings. He made another Stanley Cup final in Philadelphia in 2010 when they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks on that Patrick Kane unbelievable overtime goal. Um, he's an unbelievable player. Um, he's got a great head of lettuce, by the way, too. Like Just an unbelievably good-looking guy. It adds to the, the good-looking guys the Penguins have. Um, but, man, it's, it, it's incredible. I, I never thought I would see Jeff Carter... Um, get traded from LA, you know, after he went there from Philadelphia and he had a brief stint in Columbus, but he's been so successful out in LA, but for him to don a penguin sweater and you see that 77 flying, um, in black and gold, you know, similar to, similar to a, a Paul coffee wearing 77, it's pretty awesome to see. Um, I can't wait to see him take the ice and I think he'll, he'll add a little bit to that second power play, um, I would have thought maybe he would get on the first power play, but the Penguins' power play has been clicking well, and I'm not sure who you'd take off for Jeff Carter. Are you going to take Brian Rust off? He's arguably the best goal scorer the Penguins have, especially with Evgeny Malkin out right now. You never know what could happen, but I think he'll take um, he'll he'll get a nice role in the second power play. Um, he'll play on the penalty kill a little bit. He's he's such a gifted skater. Uh, I think he adds a lot of speed, even though he's 36. Like I said, he's got a lot of speed still. Um, he's similar to Patrick Marlowe in that sense. He, you know, they keep getting older, but they still stay, uh, they stay quick. They've got quick feet, quick hands. Um, hopefully he'll be a little bit better than Patrick Marlowe was for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think honestly, you know, not to get sidetracked a little bit, but I think Marlowe would have been a little bit better if it wasn't for the bubble. Um, I think he really lost out on a lot of practice time and they only played four games. You know, <laughs> like I'm not sure exactly what anybody was really expecting the guy to do to come into a new system, a new team, new teammates and everything in a short period of time. And then, you know, get four games in the playoffs and you're out. So, um, 
you know, I know they played a couple games before the playoffs, but honestly, not a lot of time. So there's still a good bit of time here for Jeff Carter to get acclimated. And I like the trade, honestly, especially you got one more year. Um, it does complicate things a little bit for the Pittsburgh Penguins because if you remember, the Seattle Kraken are coming into the NHL next season. So the expansion draft will be this summer after the Stanley Cup final wraps up and everything like that. I'm not sure how it how it uh, affects the Penguins because they're already kind of, you know, if the if the rules end up being the same, and I believe they will be um, as the they were for the Vegas Golden Knights coming in, I think you could protect, I want to say, I'll probably get this wrong, but I want to say you could protect six forwards, three defensemen, and a goaltender, I want to say is what it was. And that's how Vegas pretty much ended up with a pretty good team. And there was a lot of good guys available. I mean, and you have to protect guys that have no movement clauses. So there's a couple guys on the Penguins that have no movement clauses. So I think in the short term this year, um, it makes a lot of sense, and we'll see what happens. And I think they're rewarding the team for how they've been playing. Um, in the long term, you know, after this year, I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense. We'll see what happens because they might be forced to protect a guy like Jeff Carter um, and maybe let another good player go. So um, really can't wait for that whole that whole uh, process to come through on the on the podcast and break down the expansion draft. That's going to be really exciting, but that won't be till the off season. But again, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke go out and they acquire Jeff Carter. And I'm anxious to see what he does. I think if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, you got to be stoked that the organization is still willing to go out and get a good player that could potentially have an impact on the team in a positive manner. But also you got to be happy that they didn't sell the farm like they usually have been doing. Because like I said, I'm not sure. And the Penguins are at the top of the standings right now. They're right there with the Islanders and the Capitals. But I mean, I think they could be a contender. You know, I'm starting to change my mind each week. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, they've been playing so well without making all these acquisitions. And in years past, they've made a lot of acquisitions and they've taken guys that have been regulars out of the lineup and it hasn't worked. You look at the 2013 team, they took guys like Tyler Kennedy out of the lineup for, you know, Brendan Morrow and stuff like that. And those guys are good players, but it can ruin the chemistry um, of your team. So I think you got to just ride it out. And I think some of the industry injuries, I should say, might've dictated this. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad they got Jeff Carter and I'm anxious, like I said, to see what he does. So uh swig of beer for Ron Hextall for going out and getting a guy like Jeff Carter, swig of beer for Jeff Carter's head of hair and swig of beer for the penguins for buzzing and playing well. It's unbelievable too, like how much uh, there is to cover with the NHL trade deadline. I definitely don't, um, envy the columnists and the beat writers for each individual team and the main national guys like Frank Saravalli and Pierre Lebron and Elliot Friedman and uh, you know Darren Drager and Bob McKenzie those types of guys I mean it's a lot to it's definitely a lot to keep up with I'm trying to simplify it for the listeners here I hope you guys are enjoying it um, but it's just a lot to cover and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of my personal losers of the NHL trade deadline. Some of the teams we haven't talked about already. I know we went through some of the trades and whatever I thought was a good trade or a bad trade, but these teams that I'm about to go through, I think were some of the biggest losers of the deadline. And I got to start with the biggest loser of all time, the Buffalo Sabres. We've been over this team for weeks now. They're one of the worst teams in the NHL historically, probably, and one of the worst teams this year. And they had high expectations coming in. They signed Taylor Hall in the offseason. They had Jack Eichel coming in, looking to build on a prior year where he played really well. Sam Reinhart, same thing, looking to build on the previous season. 
And what do they do? They just absolutely shit the bed. An absolute gong show up there. They had lost 17 straight games at one point, if you count overtime losses. Just an absolute joke. And I want to go through some of these trades because some of these trades that general manager Kevin Adams made, somebody needs to drive to Buffalo and examine his head and figure out what the fuck he's smoking. Because I'm not going to go over each trade specifically what it was, but I'm going to talk about the guys that were de- uh, that departed Buffalo and the assets they brought in. And you tell me what you think, because it's unbelievable to me how this guy still has a job. Um, everybody knew they were sellers. They've been sellers for weeks. They've been sellers for months. They've been out of the playoff race for three months now. It's been a joke. They could have made some other moves prior, but they waited to the last couple of weeks and up to the NHL trade deadline. And this is what they got. They traded Jonas Johansson to the Colorado Avalanche, the goaltender. They traded Eric Stahl, um, a centerman, a Stanley Cup winner in 2006, uh, to the Montreal Canadiens. We talked about Taylor Hall, uh, great forward, good goal scorer, good skater. Um, having a down year this year, obviously, but definitely that's an outlier in terms of his career. He went to Boston. Brandon Montour, the right-handed defenseman, um, great young player, goes on to Florida. He'll probably flourish down there in Florida. Curtis Lazar, young prospect, um, hasn't yet kind of found his his way in the NHL, as we've mentioned, but he definitely still can. He's a, he's a top-tier prospect. He's played really well at times internationally in the World Juniors and things like that, and he's shown spurts throughout his young NHL career as well. They traded those five guys. All they got was a second-rounder, two third-rounders, a fifth-rounder, a sixth-rounder, and a borderline top-nine guy, a jabroni, Anders Bjork. Now, that's no knock on Anders Bjork personally, but the guy's just not that good. And we talked about it with Toronto. They got a first-rounder for Nick Foligno. I don't want to rehash that whole situation, but all these guys that Buffalo had, they could have got rid of their entire team. Their entire team's trash together, but individually, they've got some pretty good pieces. You think they would have at least got a couple first-rounders. They got nothing. Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar go for a second, and Anders Bjork? Are you fucking serious? This guy needs to be shit-canned more than anybody's ever needed to be shit-canned. Kevin Adams, you gotta go. And I know now, in my heart, in my mind, just by following the NHL and knowing that Jack Eichel, their captain, their face of the franchise, one of the best players that's ever laced them up for the Buffalo Sabres, his no-movement clause kicks in on July 1st, 2021. Which means, for those who don't know, he will get full say if they ever to send him down to the minors, they put him on waivers, or if they try to trade him, he, he can't go anywhere without his blessing. So the team has no leverage at all with that. So my prediction is that he will be moved prior to July 1st. He will request a trade. He will be on a new team to start next season. And I cannot wait to see that. I don't blame him one bit. That organization is an absolute joke. They're a dumpster fire, an absolute disaster. I know I sound a little bit you know, angry right now, and I'm not even a Buffalo Sabres fan, but it's a joke. How can you be that inept for that long? You've had so many prospects, so many picks, you know, good high-end players, and you suck. You fucking suck. It's an absolute joke. So, again... I apologize if I'm being too aggressive on that, but Jack Heichel, I believe, will be out, and I don't blame him one bit. And the Buffalo Sabres ought to be ashamed of themselves. The Pagula family, they got to get rid of Kevin Adams as the general manager. He's an absolute jabroni. Um, You know, I I feel for the guys that are there. The guys are still playing hard. I watched their game uh, tonight, which is Tuesday night here, um, and they were fighting. 
the guys are fighting on the ice. They're they're brawling. They're playing hard. They're trying to win. They're playing for pride. But this team just doesn't have it. The organization doesn't have it, and it's a joke. And they gotta go. They gotta they they gotta just tear it all down and rebuild. I'm talking from top to bottom. Whether you're looking at executives, you're looking at general managers, you're looking at coaches, you're looking at players, you got to reevaluate everybody because it's just not working. And now you're probably going to lose your best player, your franchise player. And all these guys you had to acquire some picks and maybe show Jack Eichel, hey, we've got you know a couple picks coming up here in the future. You got basically nothing. I mean, you got a second rounder, that's a solid pick, but the rest of them are just like, yeah, third, fifth, sixth rounders, jabroni players like Anders Bjork. I mean, you got to feel for Buffalo Sabres fans. So, um, you know, it, it it's just sad, honestly. And you know, I gotta take a sip of beer for the the Buffalo Sabres fans out there because they desperately need it. And pivoting over to the Central Division, um, another loser I have is the Carolina Hurricanes. Obviously, not in the same way the Buffalo Sabres are because the Carolina Hurricanes are in first place in their division currently. As I'm recording this, they're at 58 points. They're tied with Tampa Bay, but they're in first place because they played one less game than Tampa Bay. Um, but they watched Tampa Bay go out and get better. They got David Savard we talked about. They're going to get Kucherov back in the playoffs. They watched Florida go out and get rewarded by their organization and beef up their blue line and add some grit. Um, and they really stood stood by and did nothing. Uh, they traded a depth defenseman in Hayden Flurry. I'm not sure why they did that. Um, to the Ducks for a sixth rounder in 2022. And Yanni Hockenpah, who I thought was a prospect. And that's a great Finnish name, by the way. I hope I'm not butchering it. But I thought he was a prospect but he's a 29-year-old right-handed defenseman who's played 47 NHL games and he has one goal and one apple in his career. So, I mean, no knock on the guy. You hate to knock him, but he's not exactly an NHL regular. He's played 47 NHL games. He's 29 years old and he's got two points. I'm not sure what the philosophy was behind that move. I really expected Carolina, the way their owner is, I thought he would make a splash. Um and, and want the team to make a splash and go out and make a big acquisition, but they didn't. So there's something to be said with keeping your team together. Like I said, they're in first place right now. They're playing well, but I think you owe it to your team. And we'll talk about that here in a second with the second uh, or the third loser, I guess I have um, from the trade deadline. I think you owe it to your team to go out and, and make an acquisition for the way they're playing. And that leads me to the Minnesota wild. The Minnesota wild made no trades at all. I don't think anybody had the Minnesota Wild being a playoff team other than me. I I didn't see anybody. I, I know on my first couple episodes, I mentioned that I thought Minnesota would be a playoff team. Um, I didn't see any experts or anybody, any other podcast I listened to. And I'm not tooting my own horn here, but it's just a surprise. I was going out on a limb with that pick. And they've been nothing but you know great this year. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov has been unbelievable. Victor Rask has really stepped up. Matt Zuccarello is fitting in nice up there. They're getting good goaltending, great defense. Um, and I think, like I said, with Carolina, I think Billy Guerin, the GM up in Minnesota, he really owed it to his team to go out and maybe make an acquisition, um, to, to show them, even if you don't think your team can win it, you can give up a low round pick. We've seen some of the trades that were made and some of the guys that were acquired for low round picks and some of the, some of the guys that were out there, um, you know, potentially to be, to be acquired. I think you owe it to your team to make that acquisition to show that, Hey, you're rewarding them for what they've been doing, the hard work they're putting in. And you might have a shot. You never know. It's a COVID year. You never know what could happen. 
This is a unique year, unlike any year we've ever seen in the NHL, and anything could happen. So I thought Minnesota really dropped the ball there. So those are my three losers. The Buffalo Sabres, the biggest losers of all time. The Carolina Hurricanes, still first place in their division, but I think they're going to ultimately regret not making any moves. And then the Minnesota Wild, who I don't think are going to get out of the West Division, obviously, with Colorado and Vegas there we've talked about. But I think they would, they're also going to regret not making any moves and trying to strengthen their team as they uh, – you know, go into the stretch run here in the rest of the regular season and into the playoffs. So um, it remains to be seen. And, and those are my losers. And I need to swig a beer before we dive into some other stories from around the NHL. I wanted to pivot over to a, a player we haven't talked about for a couple uh, episodes and, and uh, a story that's really uh, interesting. And it keeps developing. It's pretty crazy. But Tony D'Angelo, uh, the young 25-year-old defenseman from the New York Rangers who has a bit of a checkered past. Um, he's got some alleged racist behavior, some controversial tweets. Um, he's had a couple run-ins with uh, the New York Rangers organization. They gave him a couple strikes, and, and then ultimately the third strike was um, a game on January 30th against Pittsburgh where following the game after a defensive lapse in his own zone and a disagreement with goaltender Alexander Georgiev, they got in a little bit of a scuffle in the locker room and that caused the New York Rangers to send D'Angelo home and basically tell him, Hey, you know, this is your third strike. And he's been sitting at home collecting a paycheck and not playing while the Rangers are kind of trying to figure out what to do with him. Um, it was pretty crazy because I wasn't expecting to see his name come up at all over the NHL trade deadline. And Darren Drager, the the insider for TSN Hockey up in Canada, you know, he basically came out this weekend and surprised everybody saying that uh, the Montreal Canadiens actually had a, a, a significant amount of interest in D'Angelo at the deadline. And the New York Rangers were uh, prepared to mutually terminate Tony D'Angelo's contract, which would allow him to pass through waivers. And nobody would have claimed him for sure. Um, nobody's really been getting claimed too much on waivers, but especially a guy with the baggage like this. Um, and it would allow D'Angelo to sign anywhere he wanted as a free agent. Um, and that would have been Montreal. Montreal, like I said, they were believed to be very interested um, in signing D'Angelo, but um, D'Angelo opted not to accept the offer from the Rangers, and he chose to basically sit... Um, you know, sit out the rest of the season and not play. And it looks like it appears that the uh, New York Rangers will buy out his contract this summer, which kind of sucks for the Rangers because, you know, they were hoping to mutually terminate his contract. And now they're going to have to eat a little bit of his contract. And he's got a little bit of a, a decent salary. I'm not, I don't have it in front of me, but they're going to have to have a little bit on their books as part of a buyout. So um, definitely something that keeps plaguing the New York Rangers, but just pretty, pretty crazy how, um, that whole situation has played out and D'Angelo just is, is, I guess, fine with sitting at home and, and collecting a paycheck and not wanting to go join a team that has a potential to, to make a playoff run and, you know, prove that he can still play in the NHL. Like, I'm not sure he's going to get another deal after this, this summer, if he gets bought out, especially with all the baggage. So it remains to be seen with that. Um, so definitely an interesting story there and staying in Canada a little bit, um, the Vancouver Canucks, man, they've been absolutely brutalized by the COVID virus. Um, you know, it's been it's been tearing through Vancouver as far as that organization. I think at one point they had 25 or 27 players, including some of the guys on the taxi squad and some of the guys in the organization and coaching staff and some family members um, of some of the players that had COVID. So that was definitely something that was a little bit scary, obviously, to see. And some of those guys I, I heard were very ill and um you know, potentially hospitalized and things like that. I don't want to dig too much into that because it's none of my business, but we hope all those guys get well. But what's crazy is they haven't played a game in like two or so weeks. And 
it was really starting to potentially put a um, you know a, a question mark around the North Division's you know I guess finishing of the NHL season because some of these other teams are playing, and the teams that were supposed to be playing Vancouver are getting postponed, and it was crazy because um, you know the NHL they they have to. They basically, from what I've read, the Canucks have to finish their games. So the Canucks likely aren't going to make the playoffs. Uh, I mean, they're technically still in the thick of things, but especially with all the COVID and and the uh, the injuries they have and things like that, realistically, they're probably not going to make the postseason. But they still have to play all of their games. So, and, and you might ask why? Why do they have to play their games if they're not going to make it? What does it matter? Well, money talks, right? So companies that have paid for sponsorships at the arena, ads on their TV broadcasts, ads on their jerseys, ads on the boards, everything like that, the Vancouver Canucks would basically have to pay that money back. I'm not sure they want to do that. That might be required for them to do that if they're not able to finish all their games, but they definitely don't want to do that. And I'm sure the league doesn't want them to do that either. And I'm sure the league probably is getting a little bit of a kickback from those sponsorships as well. And they don't want to pay that money back, especially since all the money and revenue they've lost um, over the last you know, year and a half with COVID. Also, you know, it might not make a lot of difference to some people, but the teams that are out of the playoffs, you know, they want everybody to play the same amount of games so they can determine a fair, uh, I guess, drawing for the draft lottery. So that's a big thing with this is the draft lottery because if Vancouver doesn't play all their games, they might have a higher uh, win percentage or whatever the case is. And however they determine the draft lottery, and that could give them potentially a, um, a better position or if they have a lower, uh, you know, they have a lower win percentage than they would have if they played all their games. It could change their their draft position. So that's one thing that I think other teams are monitoring and the league's monitoring. So um, as of right now, they're going to finish their season. It still remains to be seen if some of the other divisions, the Central, the East, and the West, might start their playoffs before the North Division's regular season is done. Um, I think that would be pretty interesting and pretty unfair, I think, to those teams that have to play the playoffs early because um, – you know, once their playoffs are done, they might have to sit and wait for a North Division opponent and vice versa. The North Division teams that aren't Vancouver, you know, they might be on a roll right now. You look at Toronto and teams like that, they might have to sit cold and wait a little bit for, for a playoff matchup. So not necessarily fair, but obviously this year is unique. And the way the NHL is trying to get the Vancouver Canucks to play their games, I think it's really raising some eyebrows. And I think some people are, are looking at it as a bit unfair and potentially, uh, you know, could cause a risk of injury here because the Vancouver Canucks basically are going to play. I think they start on April 14th is their first day of practice. So that'd be the day before this podcast drops is their first day of practice. And then the 16th. So the day after this podcast drops would be their first game. And they play back to back the first game against Edmonton, the second game against Toronto back to back. They start and they play 19 games in 31 days to finish the season. Incredible. If you you know factor in the fact that half of these guys, if not most of the guys on the team, are coming off either injury or COVID outbreak where they weren't able to practice, um, you know they're gonna have one practice before their game. They're gonna have one like minor team skate, I guess, which is the day before their first practice, but could definitely result in some massive injuries and things like that, and guys being out of uh, you know out of sorts and not conditioned and things. And we've seen some other teams around the league that have had COVID outbreaks. You look at the Dallas Stars early on in the season. You know they they really uh, came out really struggling out of the gate because they didn't have the conditioning. They weren't able to practice. Everything was closed. They're not able to work out. They're not able to lift. None of that stuff. I'm not able to meet with trainers, have video sessions. They're doing practices over Zoom and stuff. It's going to be uh, very interesting. And what I think is almost like 
do the Vancouver Canucks almost just sit some of their NHL guys down and bring up some of their taxi squad guys and their AHL guys to come get some NHL experience and see what they've got, maybe make some trades in the offseason and see, you know, give the other uh, teams in the league a chance to see some of these prospects and maybe try to rebuild a little bit. You know, we'll see. It remains to be seen, but I think 19 games in 31 days is certainly um, aggressive for the league. But they got to do what they got to do. They got to get these games in. So swig of beer for the Vancouver Canucks. Everybody get well. Um, I hope everything goes well with the season. I hope the playoffs can get started on time. There's no major injuries and no COVID um, issues or anything like that. So swig of beer for those guys. And with that, I wanted to pivot over to some milestones that were reached in the NHL this past week. Sidney Crosby, um, he got his 150th three-point game, so that means at least three points in 150 games in his career, which is a remarkable achievement in this era. He joins uh, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Steve Iserman, Joe Sackick, Gordie Howe, Marcel Dion, and Brian Trottier as the guys to do that with one team. So swig of beer for Sidney Crosby. Three points um, at least in 150 games in a career is unbelievable. Also, I wanted to give congratulations out to Jordan Stahl on playing his 1,000th NHL game. Jordan Stahl, what an unbelievable player, unbelievable career. He's the captain of the Carolina Hurricanes right now. Um, It was drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins, one pick ahead of Jonathan Taves, as I might mention, which would have been crazy if Jonathan Taves would have been selected by the Pittsburgh Penguins. But at any rate, Jordan Stahl, what a career, one of the most iconic goals in Pittsburgh Penguin history and maybe in NHL history in the Stanley Cup final in 2009 the shorthanded goal which really turned that whole series around and made everybody believe the Penguins really had a chance to upset the uh the defending champs the Detroit Red Wings that year so um I'll never forget that moment I still watch it all the time to this day it gives me chills um so congratulations to Jordan Stahl what an unbelievable career and hopefully uh many more games for you down there in Carolina so swig a beer for Jordan Stahl And after discussing those milestones, I wanted to pivot over to one of my favorite segments on the podcast, This Week in Sports History. Um, This date, April 13th, 2006, Alex Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals scored his 50th goal of the season to join Finnish Flash Timu Solani as the only rookies in NHL history to score 50 goals and reach 100 points in a single season. Unbelievable for uh, Ovechkin to drop 50 in his rookie year. It's crazy. And that year that Timu Solani did it in his rookie year, I believe he had 76 and one of the most iconic goal celebrations of all time. Uh, with the clay pigeon where he he came around the net and he threw his glove in the air and he used a stick like he was shooting a clay pigeon. So unbelievable stat there. Um, also on April 13th, 1998, Monday Night Raw. So 23 years ago today, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon were scheduled to have, um, I guess, their first one-on-one match. Uh, before the match began, Mick Foley, who entered as Dude Love. If you remember Dude Love, man, he was awesome. He like so Mick Foley back in the day. If you didn't know, he came in as Mankind. Um, he was like a demented guy. Um, he had a lot of issues, like mental issues. That was his character. He also had a guy, uh, Cactus Jack, who people knew from ECW and and wrestling in uh, in Japan, who was like a real hardcore guy. And this Dude Love guy was um. You know, a character that Mick Foley had played in like home videos back in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, they brought him out as as a character on WWE. So he would he would appear sometimes on the same show three different times <laughs> and three different characters. But on, but on this night, um, you know, he appeared as Dude Love and interfered and, and started a feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin. But it was the first time 
uh, since June 1996, so over 83 weeks that um, WCW had ruled over the ratings world against Vince McMahon and the WWF. Um, It was the first time that the WWF had actually had a better rating than WCW, so that pretty much uh, ended the Monday Night War almost because WWF never really looked back after that. And a few years later in 2001, they ultimately purchased WCW and, and uh, you know, the, the Monday Night War was dead. And kind of what you see now with WWE um, is a result of that. There's no competition out there. So uh, big swig of beer, obviously, for Mick Foley and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, what a great rivalry that was. And the last couple things I wanted to mention on the podcast this week, first staying in the world of professional wrestling, this past weekend was WrestleMania 37. It was live in Tampa, Florida in front of some fans. It was a two-night special. It was pretty awesome to see uh, pictures online and everything with fans in the building. I'm sure for the wrestlers, it's much better to perform (laughs) in front of a, a live crowd than that Thunderdome or in an empty arena. Um, like they've been doing for, you know, over the last year. So that was awesome to see. I didn't watch the entire show yet. I caught uh, little glimpses of it. I saw the first match actually on night one and I was surprised it was Bobby Lashley versus uh, Drew McIntyre for the WWE title. So they let off the show with the main event. Uh, right after a rain delay. So I thought that was a little bit of a questionable decision. Um, but, you know, I, I haven't really watched it. Like I said, I haven't really been able to get into it. The only thing I really liked was the uh, Bobby Lashley, his little stable uh, called the Hurt Business with MVP. MVP's great. He's a great manager now, but he was a good wrestler back in the day, but he's awesome on the mic. They had Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, two guys that can really work. Shelton Benjamin, for sure. He's been around for a long time. He was like my favorite wrestler back when I used to play uh, WWE SmackDown versus Raw 2007 on PS2 or whatever it was, but um, those games were awesome too, by the way. That's a different story for a different day. But for some reason, you know, the old man, Vince McMahon, he decided to just, he changes things up on the fly all the time. No storylines make any sense. He broke up Bobby Lashley's stable right before WrestleMania. So you got to feel <laughs> for Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, who got kicked out of the stable there. They don't get their big WrestleMania payday. But that's kind of the story around Vince McMahon. He kind of just goes out on a whim and whatever he's feeling that day he does. And that's why, you know, I haven't really been able to get into it much. Um, But I wanted to stay on the topic of WrestleMania, not necessarily the matches in the show, but the fact that it's on Peacock, Uh, Peacock's that new stream service. It seems like every damn network has a stream service now, and it's going to screw people like me that cut the cord a couple years ago uh, because now everything's going to be so expensive and you might as well just go back to having digital cable or Fios or, you know, dish or whatever the hell you have, uh, whatever choices are out there. But WWE now they basically, I don't know if they sold their library uh, to Peacock. I don't think they would ever do that, but basically they moved over the WWE network to Peacock. So now NBC basically controls it. And I've heard it's an absolute nightmare. They don't have um, pause functionality for live events. Um, In WWE network, if any of the listeners out there have had it or have it currently, it's actually pretty awesome, you know, whether you're in, into wrestling or not. It's pretty cool, like, I guess the functionality of it. It has most of the library from WWE, WWF, WCW, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know, Mid-South Wrestling, because WWE basically owns all the uh, sports, I guess, or all the professional wrestling um, companies and all their tapes and everything over the last, you know, 80, 90 years, they basically own everything now since they're the only game in town. So it's pretty awesome to see that. But now that they're on Peacock, like, that's all going away and, you know, it's this, I don't want to get into all this, but it's getting into, you know, the the way society is today. They're going back in time into the 60s, 70s, 80s, especially the 90s and the Attitude Era. And they're editing out a lot of stuff. 
Um, which just, it's kind of unfortunate because they're the only place, like I said, the only game in town where you can go watch those tapes unless you happen to be alive back then and you recorded them on VHSs or whatever the case is. Um, so you, you, you question and you wonder if you're ever going to be able to see some of those tapes again. So that makes me a little bit sad because I love watching that nineties wrestling. That's the main reason I, (laughs) I had the WWE network, but the one thing I thought was intriguing about them going with Peacock is, and I've heard this from some other people, you know, it almost makes me think that WWE is planning to potentially sell, you know, the company once Vince McMahon, I guess, gets too old or potentially passes away. Now, a lot of people think that it'll get passed down through his family and Shane McMahon, Stephanie McMahon, both work for the company. Stephanie McMahon's husband, uh, Paul Levesque, who's Triple H, he's the COO right now, and he pretty much runs things in terms of their NXT and, and a lot of their other stuff. But everything still funnels up through Vince McMahon. He's the main guy that calls all the shots. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think NBC might actually be positioning themselves to purchase WWE. And I can only imagine how much worse it'll get when you have potentially no wrestling minds there. Because right now it's all Hollywood writers anyways. I mean, like I said, everything goes through Vince. So you get a little bit of wrestling there. But he's always been more of the entertainer guy, not necessarily the true traditional professional wrestling. So that's why you see like all these throughout history. I mean, the eighties into today, you just have like stupid gimmicky things. Um, like the guy in the eighties, they had him dress up, uh, like a hockey player and his name was the goon. Everybody had an occupation back then. It was all, you know, entertainment. That's kind of how it is today. They want to make sure all the kids are happy. Nobody's offended. They're an anti-bullying company, even though every storyline there is basically driven behind bullying and behind, you know, altercations between wrestlers and stuff like that. So (laughs) I always find that funny. But, you know, it's it's crazy because I can't imagine WWE not being owned by the McMahon family, but I think it's almost going to go that way, or at least NBC is going to purchase a portion of the company. Um, with it being a publicly traded company and a very successful one, it has major network deals with Fox, um, USA Network, which is owned by NBC Universal. So it's pretty crazy because now, like WWE, they have guaranteed contracts, basically, with these networks. They don't really have to sell any tickets, especially through the pandemic. They made money. They made a ton of money. I know um, when I had my buddy Ray on, we talked about it, how they you know, they laid off a bunch of wrestlers or got rid of a bunch of wrestlers when they really didn't have to. I mean, they're making money, especially you know whether they sell tickets or not, whether they sell pay-per-views or not. These networks are paying them because of how much exposure they get globally and especially here in the United States and all the advertising revenue that they can generate, these networks can. So it's pretty crazy to see you know, how WWE is kind of just like, they really have no reason to go out and I guess showcase new stars or have you know compelling storylines and stuff they're basically disney on ice now and um it'll be interesting to see what happens because vince mcmahon's not getting any younger i mean have you seen him lately he sounds he sounds now like when he's talking normally how he sounded whenever he used to be introducing somebody or like yelling at somebody and saying you're fired something you know (laughs) something like that that's how he sounds now just talking um so it's pretty crazy so I just wanted to point that out because I thought that was interesting how they moved over to Peacock. It's not going well from a fan um, engagement perspective. I've seen it's just been nothing but you know negative comments pretty much. I, I didn't see all the comments from WrestleMania, so maybe they got it together. But I thought it was a little bit sketchy. They were trying to move over to Peacock right before WrestleMania, and that was going to be their first big show, the biggest pay-per-view of the year, if you want to call them pay-per-views anymore, since I don't know anybody out there that's still buying them. But uh, I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was interesting, especially with... You know, WrestleMania being this past week and me pointing out the the Monday Night War in the This Week in Sports History segment. So I just wanted to make make that note. Um, 
switching over to the NBA world. For those of you that don't know, you know, and many of you probably don't, I'm actually a pretty decent NBA fan, although I don't really watch um, until the, the postseason, probably like a lot of fans, because there's not really any reason to watch the NBA regular season. And that's kind of what I'm about to discuss here. And one of my big gripes with the NBA, and I think a lot of people feel the same as me. I saw this on Stephen A. Smith's Instagram um, where I guess the 76ers were going to be playing the, I guess it's the night before this podcast comes out, they're going to be playing the Brooklyn Nets, and they're like the two best teams in the East. And the Brooklyn Nets are loaded. And you know this, this happens all the time. It's a nationally televised game. But these, you know, just prima donna NBA players, they have to get night off after night off after night off. They don't play. So I saw Kevin Durant, he just came back. He had 30 points the other days. Now he's out. So it's I guess it's they're playing on national TV. Remember this, so it's big for the network. I'm sure it pisses the network off. But I saw that James Harden, who I think is actually hurt right now, but Kevin Durant wasn't playing. Kyrie Irving, who knows what he's doing? He's probably you know flat earthing or talking about that somewhere. Or he's complaining about something or saying how he's you know he, he's getting screwed over by the media and the media is portraying him a certain way, even though he's a complete J bro. And I can't stand Kyrie Irving. And then uh, Blake Griffin just got there 15 minutes ago. He's already got a night off. LaMarcus Aldridge just got there 15 minutes ago, already got a night off. I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. The regular season is an absolute joke. It's a foregone conclusion who the two or three teams are in each conference that are going to be in the running. And it's pretty much, for the last decade, been a foregone conclusion who's going to be in the NBA Finals. So that's why I'm not a big fan of the NBA. And I just wanted to point that out to any listeners, any NBA fans out there that wanted to reach out to me and talk about it and see why it's not a big problem for the NBA that these guys just sit out. Like they play two games and sit out, play two games and sit out. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. It's basketball. Like it's not like they're at being asked to play physical football and everything. And I'm not saying basketball is not physical. It's one of the most underrated physical sports there is, but it's not like the, I mean, these guys are making 40 sheets a year. Most of them, a lot of them, especially the high end guys. And they're not playing. And like, what does the NBA do about this? I know the NBA tried to stop it before, um, you know, a couple of years ago when this was happening, where like LeBron would sit out or Steph Curry would sit out when they're playing each other and they'd have this big marquee matchup. And then <laughs> the main guys that people pay to see aren't playing. And you would see the people in the crowd with the signs that say, you know, I, I brought my son, we traveled 800 miles and LeBron James is tired and stuff like that. It's just a bad look for the NBA. And you know, one of many bad looks for the NBA. And but but with that being said, I, I am excited for the NBA playoffs. It is pretty good theater, especially when you get to the conference finals and the uh, NBA finals. So um, swig a beer for for the NBA and those guys that somehow get to make forty million dollars a year and don't have to play every game. The last thing I wanted to mention this week: the hip hop community and the rap community lost an icon, a legend. Um, any listeners out there that like that kind of music or really any kind of music probably know who this man is. Whether you are listening to his music to get fired up to play sports back in the day or going to a sporting event or a concert or I saw videos of Woodstock in 1999 where he had to place rock and the crowd was going insane. It's one of the most remarkable uh, videos I've ever seen. It was pretty cool, but um, unfortunate news this week is rapper and icon DMX uh, died at the age of 50 from an apparent drug overdose which led to a heart attack. So on behalf of the Rambling Brews podcast, say rest in peace to DMX. Uh, thoughts out to his family and, and friends and everybody close to him. Um, an unfortunate, unfortunate tragedy. Uh, but I just wanted to point that out. So rest in peace to DMX. On that note, I hope you guys have a hell of a weekend. In honor of DMX, make sure you party up in here. Have a couple Coors Lights. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around. Here. Uh. 